Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we capriciously read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are years later devoted tributes to a beloved film, but not long enough later that it seems to make any sense. Like, 20-year anniversary? Okay. 25-year? Sure. 13? Why 13 years? Novelizations are surely the product of some algorithm that said, we need to get a new generation into Mean Girls. What are kids into these days? We're not sure, but we are still forcing them to go to scholastic book fairs. <laughs> Regardless of their reason for existing, novelizations are successful translations of a film's humor from screen to page. While they take surprisingly few narrative risks, novelizations use their physical medium to represent texts, emails, and other epistolary communication heretofore unseen in the Mean Girls universe. These interactions lend a dimensionality to North Shore High School that makes the setting feel like a real, robust community. Novelizations are quite creative and artful. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. Mean Girls is a 2004 American comedy directed by Mark Waters and written by Tina Fey. It is partially based on the 2002 self-help book, Clean Bees and Wannabes, which illustrates how female cliques can breed aggression in school settings. The film follows Katie Heron, a teenage girl who, after years of living with her parents in the wilderness of Africa, suddenly finds herself attending high school, American Cuckoo High School, for the first time. She quickly discovers that while her inner self aligns with the social outcasts of the school, her outer appearance, hot, gains her entry into the highest echelon of teenage royalty, the plastics. Who I, they can't possibly call themselves that. Anyway, at the behest of her socially marginalized besties, Katie goes deep undercover as a plastic, only to discover that Kurt Vonnegut was right. What we pretend to be is inevitably who we truly are. The novelization of Oh no! <laughs> For the listener, it, it, it does still say the novelization of aliens. Yeah, I was fixing it in the moment. I was going to go for it. I'm so sorry. Okay, great. great. Um, the novelization of Mean Girls was written by Nicole Osto, based on the screenplay by Tina Fey. It was published by Scholastic in 2017. Who is Nicole Ostow or Osto? I don't know, man. <laughs> Nicole Ostow was born in New York City to a Jewish-American father and a Puerto Rican mother. Even though she was raised in the Jewish faith, her mother, who was a Catholic, had converted before she was married to her father. She always maintained a good relationship and remained close to her Puerto Rican Catholic family. Ostow worked as a children's book editor for over a decade before moving into writing herself. In 1990, when her grandmother was dying in Puerto Rico, she joined her immediate family and other members who traveled from Florida, New York, and other places to uh, Puerto Rico to be with her. The experience of seeing how easily the family banded together, despite the fact that some of them had never even met before, served as an inspirational factor when she wrote her first novel, Emily Goldberg Learns to Salsa, which basically has the exact same plot of that as a family coming together when uh, sort of a matriarch passes away. Ostow has written many books in established IP, specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Nancy Drew, and Riverdale. 
Additionally, she is writing the current season of Riverdale Comics from Archie Comics. She is currently pursuing a Master of Fine Arts degree in writing for children and young adults through Vermont College of Fine Arts. She lives in Manhattan with her husband and two daughters. And everywhere, everywhere on the internet that Nicole Ostow is written about, it says her Emmy-winning husband. But I could not, for the life of me, find what he had won an Emmy for. Even on her own website, it's like, and I live in Manhattan with my husband, who of course won an Emmy. So, I don't know. Who is he? Did you? Could you at least find what his name was? Because there has to be like you go on the Emmy website and pop his name in, right? Uh, yeah, EmmySearch.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my homepage. <laughs> All right. So on her website, it says, uh, "I live and work in Brooklyn." Oh, she lived in Manhattan in this other blurb. Oh God, my research. Maybe um, she has two homes because she's a fancy. Uh, alongside my Emmy award-winning husband, and husband is hyperlinked, so I've clicked it, and now we're going on a journey. So, her it links to a page called twobulls.com, and it's just some business. It says, we exist to create for humanity, build for innovation, and transform for tomorrow. Uh, two bulls, as in the animal, which, like, I'm sure this is the guy's new hustle or whatever, but that's her explanation by way of he won an Emmy. Uh, something had to have happened. Okay, maybe we should introduce our guest. Anyway. Maybe we should bring our guest in. Or- ah, oh, sure. Uh, uh, right, right. Okay, uh, good point. <laughs> Joining us today is an actor and dancer from the Mean Girls musical, Collins Conley. Hi. Collins, <laughs> how are you doing today? Who did you play in the Mean Girls musical? And any other thoughts on this book? <laughs> I am great today. Uh, in the Mean Girls musical, I was most notably Sexy Corn, who was unfortunately cut from the novel, okay? Uh, but I also played Caroline Kraft, the math girl, and that was great. <laughs> She's in there. <laughs> in what capacity is Corn featured in the musical? <laughs> you know, there's a whole line about it in a song. And before the album was released, there was a lot of speculation because they were teasing my costume and a lot of the things. But truly, like a full five seconds of the musical are devoted to sexy corn. Is that in in terms of Halloween when girls maybe yes sexy? the Halloween oh Halloween. yes gotcha girls can be sexy and be anything it's not right. like a Illinois isn't so bad like we <laughs> we have the lake we have the bulls we have sexy cornfields you know accurate. Uh, I having seen this is other Andrew having seen the Mean Girls musical uh, I will say for context we all know the scene in the novel and the film in which they go to Halloween all the girls dress very sexy Katie doesn't understand that because she's from Africa as well I'm sure we'll get into a lot and there's the one line that I think Karen has where she says I'm a sexy mouse duh they made a whole song out of that in the musical (laughs) but it's all these things that are not sexy so there's Sexy Rosa Parks, sexy Eleanor Roosevelt, sexy Quint and a shark from Jaws, sexy cow, sexy cow, sexy corn, sexy Abraham Lincoln, all of which are realized by the ensemble in the musical. Amazing costume designs by the one and only Greg Barnes. (laughs) Now, I don't mean to hate on whomever wrote. uh, Remind me, with musicals, the music is the book. Book, uh, lyrics and music are three different people. 
But like, book, what what the is book? Is book? The script. The book is the script. The book okay. is the script. Written so, by Tina Fey. Not to not to hate on whoever was like in charge of the the lyrics, but it feels like that is not in line with the way that the 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 women at this high school uh, treat Halloween. Like they seem to have almost no sense of humor about it, right? To then be like to jump to things like you know sexy, very eccentric choice seems kind of odd. So having been in it. As they were designing them, they said we're obviously teenagers and they wanted us to be able to find things in our closet that we could then make sexy to go to Regina's party. Or I guess it's not Regina's party, but to a party where Regina would be. So like I had some real cute tiny green shorts. So I, you know, made a corn costume. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so the, 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 the method acting there being... This is what your high school character would actually do. So please go to your for real closet, you adult woman. Yes. <laughs> wow. It was very fun. One, a lot of the costumes were ones that you could actually buy like at Spirit Halloween. And then they would like alter it. So it was like a really sexual. <laughs> Collins, did you ever meet Tina Fey? I worked with Tina Fey every day for like two years. She's awesome. (laughs) She's actually so like low key. Like you wouldn't know she was in the room unless you were like, oh, oh, Tina's speaking. Because she's just like sits behind the table, nice and quiet, does her work. She's awesome. Wait, what? So what capacity was she uh, involved in sort of a day to day way? Because I would assume that script is like a you do it, then you're gone type of thing. So when you're doing an original musical, there are a few stages. There's like a workshop and out of town and then the Broadway preview production. And so for the workshop, you're four weeks. She's there every day. They write new script pages. Um, Same with the out of town. Every morning we would show up to work. We get new script and then we would rehearse it before we would do a show that night. So she was there every day and then she left on opening night. But she would come back every once in a while, update some jokes she was there, there every day, doing a lot. Hannah, what did you um? What what was your relationship with this book? Or, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, what was your relationship with this book before you read this book? What a great question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your relationship to this film before you read the novelization, Mean Girls? I had seen it. It came out when I was 14. I didn't make it my whole personality, which some people did. It's funny. It's fine. Then I really didn't think about it for 10 years. Then I read the book. I didn't see the musical, and I apologize. I was holding a grudge against it for reasons that had nothing to do with itself. So, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) That's my relationship to Mean Girls. It's a film. Well, so I mean, it's okay. You'll just catch it on the next run, right? Mean joke. I mean, is it coming back? Isn't it over? No. It died. It's closed. Mean Girls caught COVID, right? Mean Girls caught COVID and then did not survive COVID. Sad. You know, I'll I'll find an exciting illegal boot and I'll watch that and go, ah, what Absolutely. do I know? <laughs> That's what I will do. What about you, Andrew? What's uh, what's your relationship to the, the film Mean Girls? Sure. I mean, I must have seen it uh, having an older sister who's three grades <laughs> older in 2004. She was the prime age. I was maybe a year or two before middle school, so I wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, saw it on DVD, thought it was very funny. I don't think I've seen the whole thing 
in years because it's on TV constantly and I'd probably watch 15 to 30 minutes of it uh, and enjoy it. A lot of the jokes still work. A lot of the jokes do not work. Uh, and most of those, I feel, got cut out of this novelization. Um, what what joke do you, jokes do you feel didn't work? I'd like to I'd like to bring up. I, I just think uh, there's some stuff and some language that I just feel like was very 2004. <laughs> uh, for example, I, there's a reference very early on when Katie Heron, played by Lindsay Lohan in the movie, goes up to a table at lunch of students who are all black, and oh yeah, in Africa says, "Oh, Jumbo," assuming they all speak Swahili. Which in the movie is just played as a joke, and then here they kind of throw in a, wow, I shouldn't have said something so racist and insensitive. Totally, and and the, it really suggests that her parents, who seem like very well-adjusted, loving people, like did a terrible, terrible job of giving her context for the world. Right. Because Absolutely. that's a very basic discussion to be had, even while you're still in Africa. I mean, not everyone in Africa speaks Swahili, for one. <laughs> I was shocked in your intro to learn that this book came out so much later than the movie because this feels before the musical. insanely dated. Like this book feels like it came out in 2004. It is like so dated. Yeah, I, I only learned this about two or three hours ago when I went to go write the intro. And I was like, oh, okay, the most recent edition was published in 2017. How interesting. And then I kept trying to find the earlier editions, and there were none, which that has really saved my opinion of the author, I will say, because the, uh, I'm sure she's like a very wonderful person, but uh, there's a lot of promotion on her social media, at least in the last couple of years, of her being like, yes, read this book, it's so good. And at first I was like, she is really still holding on to this thing from 2004, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, Collins, when you uh, were cast in this show, what was your relationship to the movie? And uh, sort of what was the, the process of being in the show like? So I had watched the movie at every sleepover growing up because that's what we did. Mm -hmm. um, but I probably hadn't seen it in many years. When I was, when I got offered the job, I watched me, the Mean Girls movie that night because um, that was really exciting. And then when I read the first script, which would have been in like April of 2017, right after this book came out when i read the when i read the first script i was like oh everything's in there and then you rewatch the movie and you're like oh no she updated almost everything almost none of the jokes stayed it's like a just a handful mm -hmm. um so that was really interesting because i felt like i wasn't missing anything in the musical script and then i watched the movie again like a year later i was like oh they're missing a ton but they mm -hmm. had to miss a ton it was 15 years later so you had to update and change the world and you had to make room for the sexy corn song that, <laughs> you know, was the crux of the first act, apparently. Does the musical have cell phones and stuff, like, in our modern cell phone world? Yeah, so that was the biggest update that we often talked about, was that we couldn't do Mean Girls in 2020 without, or 2018, without there being social media. None yeah. of this bullying would have happened on a three-way phone call. None of it would have happened in the way it happened. It all would have been cyberbullying. And they do get there, and texting happens, and all of that. That was definitely a much-needed update. It also would just completely change the dynamic of the, um, the scenes with any parents. And I, I know this is going to make me sound so old man-ish, but <laughs> any 2020 scene where a, where a teenager is, like, having a hard time dealing with their parents, they would just 
be in their phone. Yeah, I guess that doesn't that doesn't happen. I guess she still kicks her out of the room. Sorry, what what part? Like, let's say like when Regina's mom is being too much, she just like kicks her out of the room. They're not just like, okay, mom, like on their phone. Right, right. Yeah. And there's like a central tension to, I think, the movie that is like Katie has to deal with all of these people. And she's like, oh, I'm going to have to face this person. I'm going to have to face this person. There's no, none of this sort of like receding inside yourself that, that 2021 technology allows. Very true. And they do they do when she Karen tech tips her off, she texts her and it's like, Oh, tomorrow's gonna be hard at school for you, but she gets those days to just text her friends and to resolve things with Aaron before she goes back to school and to have Karen be like, Well, I'm on your side before she comes back to school because she has her phone and she has Instagram to see what people are saying and to see her like count grow, like all of those things. Oh, I see. So that basically replaces the scene of I'm voting for Regina because she got hit by a bus. I'm voting for Katie Heron because she pushed her. Because it's like... I mean, yeah, that line is there, but okay. it's tied in with social media numbers. Interesting. Oh, okay. What did you guys think of the sort of the way that Nicole Austell pluses up the text here? The the little add-ons that she does, the artistic uh, liberties she <laughs> takes. Favorite. Yeah, that was really the only part of the book I really enjoyed not to say I don't enjoy Mean Girls I don't think it's poorly written as a novel but I almost wish someone had taken Mean Girls and done an entire novel through like primary sources through text messages through Mm -hmm. school announcements through emails because I think that's so much more interesting as a secondary text like we talked about when we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to just say like oh let's just do a different take on this that works in the written way that some of the jokes in Mean Girls, which are almost all preserved in the novel, don't work without the visual medium of editing, I feel. Yeah, I was going to say, for the most part, reading the novel feels like watching the movie. She describes every moment, every line identical. And then there's these in-betweens of like Mrs. George's to-do list that is just hysterical. And it adds so much to these characters and so much like insight that is otherwise skipped in the book. So I, I appreciated it when it when the extras happened. Right. So I for the agree. listener, there's just all these pages in the book uh, between chapters that are like, uh, as Colin said, like uh, Mrs. George's to-do list, and it'll be all these wacky things that that sort of illustrate that she's out of touch uh, or or vapid. Um, or my favorite one, I'll just say my favorite one off the bat, comes like at the end of the book, which is when we get a list of um, Karen's reasons that she believes that she has ESP. And <laughs> the one that really had me cackling was when how she could just sense that her cat had died. And she writes for a while about how she could just sense that her cat had died. And then she says, what really tipped me off was I heard my mother telling someone about it on the phone. And from (laughs) there on, I just knew. But I will say early on, I was kind of despairing about the the add-ons in the book because for a while, it feels like the author is only doing jokes that were already in the movie. So there's one that's like, uh, you know, people's opinions of of uh, Regina, which is in the movie. There's just like cutaways of everyone saying things, you know, the, the one where they're like, she punched me in the face. It was awesome. And that's just straight up transcribed towards the beginning of the novel. And so I definitely started with this attitude of, oh, the author is 
making an interesting choice, but not doing much with it. And then I felt like she kind of loosened up or got more adventurous as, as the text went on. Yeah, I liked them fine. Uh, they are the most interesting part of the book. Also, is this our first novelization that's written in the first person? Possibly, unless there were segments. I can't uh, think of a single one, yeah. I think it might be, which is kind of fun. But it does change perspective. Sometimes you're from Katie's perspective, sometimes you're from Regina's perspective, which is all kind of interesting. But I didn't find the writing particularly had, like, different voices. So you're just kind of like, well, same sort of vibe. Like, I think these teenage girls actually have different cadences, and you don't get a lot of that. I also was talking about how much this is the book is just the movie. I don't know about your guys' copy, but the back of mine says, you know the story, dot, 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 or do you? <laughs> Guess what? I do. <laughs> it's the same. Like, this book is not adding a lot, which I really like having read the back. I was like, ooh, I can't wait to see what like extra little insights are in here. Like maybe the changing in perspective will like give me like a new idea about like Regina or whatever, but it didn't really. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and this reminds me, Andrew. I know you've read this novel. I don't know if Hannah's read it, but the novel of uh, Election that the film is based on is written in the way in which uh, Mean Girls, the novel, is in which you know you cut between different perspectives, but you are actually getting different perspectives on events. Whereas this is more just saying, you know, I want to write this scene that's in the movie from Janice's POV and just add a couple I statements in it. It's yeah. not like we see Janice at the, during the burn book kind of reveal where everyone's running around and then Katie, like we're not seeing like them looking at each other across the room, how they feel about each other in those moments. It's just like, well, I have to write the, it's the movie's all from Katie's perspective. Whereas the book just sort of takes sort of rolls the dice and says, all right, this scene's, Regina, this scene is Gretchen, this scene is Karen. Yeah, they don't feel, like, meaningful. Like, why are we with Regina now? Why are we with Karen now? Um, which could have been a cool opportunity. I'm just not sure that it takes it. Especially, as Andrew is saying, like, when the characters are apart. I mean, there a lot of the end of the book has Katie at odds with Janice and Damien. And it's it, there's an opportunity there to really like see what they're up to or what they're feeling when they're away from our protagonist. But instead of that, and this is one of the things I, I don't really love about the book, every time there is palpable conflict between the characters, when we get the perspective of the wronged character, so like when Janice is the narrator and she's pissed off at Katie or when Damien's the narrator and she's pissed, he's pissed off at Katie. They always say things like, Oh, she is awful, but you know what? I kind of still miss that girl. She was actually, she's kind of great. Her sweetness, her like, they're like always like really pumping her up in their mind. When I really feel like the book should lean into they're pissed off. They hate her. Yeah. I regularly forgot who was the narrator of a given chapter. Yeah. And when, when Regina gets hit by the bus, I thought I was reading a Regina chapter. And I was like, how the heck are they going to handle this? Wait, are you not <laughs> reading a Regina chapter when she gets hit by the bus? I thought you were. Oh, maybe it is. There, There's definitely at least one chapter where I was like, I just had the person who it was wrong for like the entire time. 
yeah, it is not written in a way that you like know who you're with at any moment. I will say though, the book did make me feel more sympathetic to Regina. Like maybe I'm simply an adult woman now and I understand that teenage girls are mean, but without uh-huh. the Rachel McAdams performance, particularly, I was just like, no, she's just like kind of a mean girl. She's not like a bitch who deserves to get hit by a bus. Like, uh, especially given that all of her friends are then like very cruel to her. Yeah, I, I was confused as to like how the minds of high schoolers work because, as I often am, because um, the certain things would make them turn against their like quote unquote ruler, like you know their uh, Regina, where they'd be like, oh, you know, she did this thing, and I I I I hate her now, or I've always wanted to see her taken down, and then other things would be like, oh, you know, she showed her nipples under her shirt or whatever that part of the movie is, and now I love her even more. Like, I, I'm, I've always been confused watching the film as to, like, what is it that juices people up about her and what is it that causes them to turn? I mean, I don't know about you guys. My high school was not, like, any high school in any movie. Like, we didn't... I'm sure we had cliques, but nobody was, like, nasty to each other. We didn't have, like, mm. a popular girl who was, like, a queen bee who was mean. So, like, this concept of, like, Regina as the queen bee of the high school who's, like, nobody likes her because she's mean, but because she is so beautiful and so put together, everyone, like, you know, do I want to be her? Do I want to kill her? You know, and it's, we all want to be her, and if we could be her, we would do anything to be her, and if we can't be her, we fucking hate her. I understand that. I've seen it in movies a thousand times. I can't speak to if that's, like, realistic to the high school experience. It's like taught I mean, to you by film. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, you're selling yourself short though. You were the Regina George <laughs> of our high school. I you know, I basically agree with Hannah's summation of high school not being like the movies, at least at our high school. And I mean, Andrew and I did go to like a private high school in the Northeast. So it's a little different than North Shore High, which if North Shore High exists, I live like right next to it. So it must not. <laughs> But um, it it does exist. A kid from our cast went to North Shore High School. Yeah, I assumed you'd be freaking out all over the uh, <laughs> Chicago references throughout this book. Yeah. Oh, you know me. I'm I'm I just go crazy whenever I see or hear anything about Chicago. They, you know, I've I've been I've been kicked out of repertory screenings of Ferris Bueller. Um, <laughs> I was just gonna say, having read Queen Bees and Wannabes, that actually a lot. Oh, this of is a huge bit of perspective to suddenly reveal you have i have in my research for the musical um but a lot of the quotes that are still in this book and in the movie and in the musical are actually direct quotes from actual teenage girls like who were the mean girls and who were taken advantage of by the mean girls so it's definitely someone's high school experience i think i went to a high school and my graduating class was like upwards of 600 people uh, there was also like a socioeconomic divide in my neighborhood. And so I think to an extent, I mean, I knew the popular girls and I did not like them. I don't know if they were as manipulative and wildly unliked as Regina is, but I see how that could be some people's high school experience. Um, also, it is a Regina chapter where she gets hit by a bus. Can I read it? Yeah. Yes, it please do. That's a, it's a good moment, I think, in the book. Yeah, she so she's yelling at Katie. She goes, you can take your fake apology and stick it up your... For a split second, I thought it was a rage stroke. There was a blare of a car horn and a gust of hot exhaust. Then everything went black. The suggestion that rage strokes are a thing she has. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that, like, Regina is a 
really good character. She's really interesting and like nuanced and varied. Um, Absolutely. And that's, I think, why we're all like, as people who watch Mean Girls, are like, ah, well, we love Regina, though. Like, she's the villain of the piece, but she's the best part. Did you guys see the um, the uh, the movie Her Smell from like three years ago? Yes. So something I love, not necessarily about the movie specifically, but like I was reading about the director's like decision to call the movie Her Smell, which when you watch it and it's just about like a spiraling rock star, you're like, I don't know why the title had to be so gross. Um, <laughs> And there's a couple things I loved about it, which is, first off, not related to my point at all. He was just like, we discovered that there were very few movies with the word smell in their title. <laughs> and the second thing is he, th this is like speculation. I don't even know if this, this part came from the director, but somebody was saying uh, this extremely destructive protagonist in this movie, you look at her as a viewer and you're like, I don't understand why people are hanging around her. But she is a rock star, and she has some inherent charisma, some, like, smell or pheromone or something wafting off of her that keeps people coming back. And that's sort of, like, what the movie's about. And I think that's Regina. I think that she has, like, that thing. And you see it on the street. Like, every once in a while, you'll see, like, just a random person walking on the street, and they're, like, not dressed well or anything. And you're like... That guy's got movie star swagger. Like, yeah. <laughs> if that guy asked me to get on a train right now, like a reverse before sunrise, I'd do it. Um, <laughs> I can uh, affirm that having once seen Jake Gyllenhaal on the street, and he looked terrible, but also he looked great. He's a movie There's, star, baby. So I, I've done a terrible job of bookmarking this specific book, but there is a, a moment that I really like from Katie's perspective where... She's at sort of the apex of like the, I'm telling myself I'm pretending to be a plastic, but I actually am becoming one thing. And she kind of has an internal monologue where she's going, I hate Regina. Why can't I stop thinking about her? Why am I talking about her all the time? I definitely hate her, but I, she's like every third word I say is Regina. And I think that's a good encapsulation of like how some toxic people get us is you're like ah, i hate that person but also they're all i think about ever like is there something chemical that's just happening that i can't I, resist i want to make a comparison at the moment right now to heathers which has the exact same structure as me girls oh, yes. yeah. but in heathers heather chandler does not have it and so they can kill her you know, like, she's a mean girl. She's nasty. She is Regina George, but she doesn't have the smell, I would say. And so they fucking kill her, and she dies. And she doesn't have the power and charisma to carry through the whole story where Regina does, which is like a way to go mean girl. That's all. I don't know. I, like, couldn't stop thinking about how this book is just Heather's without the murder. <laughs> it, like, hit me in a new way. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say maybe I'm biased, but I mean, obviously, Rachel McAdams, right? Am I making that up? Who plays Regina? Yes. The, okay. Rachel <laughs> McAdams. Brilliant. Having seen Taylor Louderman for, you know, two years of working with her as Regina George, she was so subtle. And when I was joining Mean Girls, I was like, oh, this girl's going to be, you know, this energy. And she like, as she plays the character is so nice. 
that it's scary and I was like that's it like that subtlety is what you needed because if she was just mean no one wants to be around her Mm -hmm. and so I commend and a lot of the meanness of the character is justified I mean we're first introduced to Regina in a scene in which uh what is his name Jason Jason Weems the the buttering your muffin scene where he's basically coming up and like being gross to Katie which she's more cognizant of in the book She's more being like, this is weird. I don't want to be part of this. Where in the movie, she seems a little more dumb because she was homeschooled. And <laughs> Regina is mean to him, but you're like, I get why she's mean to him. He's being a jerk. I would love if a cool kid did that for me. Whereas there are also moments of the contrary, but there are some moments of meanness that feel justified, especially if it's that initial in our sort of introduction to the character that you understand why Katie is taken with her at first and it takes her a while to realize that she, until she tries to steal Aaron back, that she is quote-unquote mean. I mean, Regina is not irredeemable, which is a fun aspect to her. And I, I, I love, like, stealing back Aaron is a bad move, but when she's dating Shane, he seems like a great guy for her. <laughs> they seem like a really good match. So I, from a screenwriting perspective, <clears throat> I feel like it's likely that, like, Tina Fey writes the scene of uh, Katie being brought into the plastics or meeting Regina for the first time. You've got me thinking about this now. Like, if you do that scene first before having Lizzie Kaplan go, just so you know, that's the villain of the movie, which is basically the function of that scene out at the in the field, right? Is she's just going, you know, I hate this person and so should you. And I feel like it's likely that Tina Fey writes the f- the scene with Regina first and then goes, oh no, if this is the intro to the character, we love her. <laughs> or, you know, we're a it fan almost, of her. Yeah, it almost dits credits Janice because you're like, wait, are you just being like, are you just holding a grudge? Like, what what is it that makes you not like her when she defended me? Yeah, she does come across as nice. And then like the slow dissolve into like, who you whore <laughs> is artful screenwriting. I was going to say uh, before when you were talking about Regina getting hit by the bus. I mean, Collins, do you know what page that was on? Because there's something else oh, on gosh. that page. The The description of uh, what her mother is wearing is something I don't think was in the movie unless I missed it. Unless it was like a split second thing. Oh, no, I found it. I found it. 237. Thirty-six, right out of Kubrick. Oh, I was just going to say on the subject of buses, it's kind of wild how at two points in this novel, someone is either almost hit by a bus or hit by a bus, seemingly outside of the high school. Yes. Like, wh- why are these buses speeding <laughs> when they should be stopping? <laughs> no accountability uh, regarding the bus drivers. Like at the end of the movie, they're still almost doing it. Okay, at the at the bottom of 235, she's having the argument with... Uh, Regina and Katie are having the argument that will end with her getting hit by a school bus. And Regina thinks, Ugh, and maybe the worst of all, Mom was across the street, pecking away at her cell phone, waiting to pick me up in this gross old LeMay motorcycle jacket and a top that looked like your insane grandmother's drapes. That's not in the film, right? No, she's wearing something else. Not that I recall. So dark to to have her there to witness her daughter get hit by the bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah really and they 
also have to clarify it. Like, why would her mom be there? So they add this little, oh, did Mr. Duvall call her to make it justified? Like, this author really wanted her mom to see her get by bus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they at least do set up earlier that he, in the movie and the book, yells, like, people are asking me if someone got shot. Like, it's, like, gotten around town that the that the high school has devolved into mayhem. <laughs> um, Andrew, what you were saying before about high school, um, I, I started this thought and I, I got sidetracked by something, but I always found that this high school dynamic was something you could just opt in or out of. Like, I definitely saw jocks at our school who would, like, pick on or look down on, like, the, like, less cool whatever. And I definitely saw people, like, fighting over, you know, women and, and things like this and all this nastiness that you see in high school movies. But then if I were to just, like, go talk to a jock and be like, hey, man, what's up? They'd just be like, oh, that guy seemed cool. It was like the second you tried to just buck the social hierarchy at all, it would just all crumble and you'd be outside of it. Sure. I mean, we went to a school with 400 kids. Right. Total. And there was a lot more intersection of having classes with people, living in dorms with people, sitting at lunch with people, because we were both more artistic. I mean, you ran cross country, but we had a clique of friends, certainly, who did artistic things, Mm -hmm. but we were not in a world where it was a faux pas to talk to people who were outside of your circle or your Venn diagram or whatever it is. Right. That does seem very alien to me, that idea. When I uh, when I first got to Chicago, I, I I was in an acting class where it wasn't exactly an acting class. We were like putting on a certain type of show type of deal, and uh, the the group of people was so not inclined towards athletics that just the fact that I enjoyed like running a little, they just kept being like, yeah, like put him in the jock role in this sketch. I was like, this is the only corner of my life where this will ever happen, where I will be considered the uber athlete of the bunch. (laughs) If I had to look at the four of us and say which one of us was a jock in high school, I would say you, though. Right. It's this is like an ego exercise It's like I surround myself in situations where I can say I'm the washed up jock. (laughs) I don't know. My high school experience was like. I showed up, I went to my classes, I did after school theater, I thought I was good at it, but I went home. You know, like I didn't have a lot of interaction with like anybody. I didn't do anything, I didn't exist, it was fine. Theater kids noticeably absent from this novel. Yeah. Wait, there, now th- I, there is something I really like about this book that I'd like to point out right now, which is that the last diagram type thing is cool. The thing where they just oh, show the actual layout of the cafeteria. And I think that's uh, from the movie. Itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the information is from the movie, but the... No, no the image the is from, from the, movie. the movie. I just watched it, it this afternoon. Yeah. Oh, fuck that. Never mind. Book's bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is from the movie. But I think some of these are like coded phrases. Like, what is the actual high school analog for burnouts? Stoners. I think okay. burnout is interchangeable with stoners in high school, yeah, pretty it's, much. It's yeah. the guy in high school musical who plays the cello. Hence the joints you see on the table. How have I gone through my <laughs> entire life, basically, without knowing that that was a marijuana thing? <laughs> I don't know, Andrew. That's your life. I thought that it was, I thought it exclusively referred to just 
people who were like over it and who had like run themselves I think, ragged. I think you could also call them like skaters. Yeah. Burnouts oh, and yeah, skaters yeah. could be kind of analogous. Do you have other questions about the high school quick names, Andrew? Yeah, do you want to know what the word JV stands for? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? No. Okay, thank God. You understand the difference between cool Asians and Asian nerds? I I guess. What was what was Gretchen's relationship to the her the people who become her friends at the end before nothing she was not stated but no it exists because in the book at least she's like texting them during the book right show your work andrew oh oh there is a scene where she's texting them i mean it does seem like the school is small enough that everybody knows each other's names and everybody knows like every single girl from their class is in the burn book. And that's maybe 30 girls. Right. So the fact that like Gretchen probably has had class with, you know, like Trang Pak or whatever and knows her like, yeah, okay, I buy it. We do get good insight on how big of a player Jason is because you see text messages with three different women. (laughs) Jason, what a dog. Nobody should be dating that boy. I mean, even that, like, level of Regina, where she's like, he's a skis, stop talking to him. She is right. That is good advice from a friend. Wait, but you're you're highlighting right now, like, the the trap of cynicism, which is like, if, if somebody is, like, cynical about most things, which I think socially Regina kind of is, mm-hmm. then it's sort of a clock being right twice a day type of situation where if you listen to the guy in your life who's like oh the government's not looking out for you man and like bosses like they only care about you until you turn in your resignation it's like yeah okay good advice true but then you like go have a beer at that guy's home and he's like it turns out cynical about everything and he starts just being like you know you know man women just want you for your money and you're like okay whoa 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 i liked the part that was like insightful I think you're, I mean, I think you're right that the Regina clock is only right twice a day. Like, she clearly just, like, doesn't want Gretchen to have a boyfriend is also part of the math that she does. She's like, I don't want you to be happy. That makes me less happy. So, therefore, I'm going to sabotage your thing with Jason. And she happens to be right that he is a skis and a player. Maybe Gretchen has bad taste. The happens to be right thing, I think, is what I'm really getting at. Is like, mm-hmm. it, you know, I spent an unfortunate semester in college taking theory of knowledge, the philosophy class, which is basically like, how could you possibly ever truly know a thing? You can't, you idiot. And um, yikes, we had that class in high school. Yeah, that was in my high school, but I didn't take it. They asked me to to write like a an essay at the end of that class summing up what I learned in theory of knowledge and I just wrote that I learned that we are coping with the fact that we can never know a thing. Um which I, my <laughs> my teacher didn't like, so I guess that wasn't the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I, I, the fact that she is correct in my mind is not at all connected to being like right like from like a from an intellectual level because i think that she's approaching everything with such disdain that even if she knows a true thing she doesn't know it the through correct evidence i think both things can be true like i think it is capable a human being is capable of being like i want to sabotage you and i know this is in your best interests but it will make you unhappy like, I, I, like Regina is friends with these girls. Like, she trusts Gretchen with some of her secrets. It's not like 
her entire social life is based on lies and deceit, there's clearly like some glimmer of genuine friendship there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like the best manipulation plays on true things. Like Gretchen wouldn't buy into the fact that Jason's a skeeve if Jason wasn't a little bit of a skeeve and she didn't know it. So like, I like that you phrase it. It's the math that Regina is doing. Because she's like, what can I play on to make it so she can't have a girlfriend? But yeah, I think there's truth in it for sure. Why does Regina want to use a third grade picture for reference for her haircut? No, that's her mom. Her mother wants to get highlights done. And I don't know if the joke is she wants Regina's natural third grade hair or if it's that she's a... like had highlights since she was in third grade or something. Yeah. I thought the joke was that Regina has always been so perfect and beautiful that like even in third grade, she had exquisite hair. I mean, that's very funny. Like that immediately jumps to one of my my favorite jokes in the book, if that's the joke happening. (laughs) Has anybody seen Mean Girls 2? Yes. Oh, I know that there's one returning actor. Do you all know who it is? Tim Meadows. Yeah. Is it really? I mean, it makes the most sense that as the principal, he would still be the principal. Is that movie fun? Should I watch it? Absolutely not. I think it's legally blondes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like famously terrible is what I've heard, but like that is shocking that he returned because usually when when a sequel nosedives, it's like a completely new cast. You remember when uh, they had that whole thing happened where there was an illegal production of Raging Bull 2 being filmed? No. This was like most of 10 years ago. And they're like, yeah, some totally like uh, anonymous director who did not get permission wrote and was shooting a film called Raging Bull 2 that was a sequel to Raging Bull and it was just broken up because it was totally not okay that they were doing that and when we broke it up we found Tom Sizemore on set (laughs) wow wow I was just gonna say there's this so they do the infamous joke of and that's how Regina George died and they do it in the book and I was so dissatisfied because like when you're reading it you know she doesn't die because like She's talking, and it just made me so angry that this author could not edit in a way that made it make sense. It also is immediately followed by that just kidding, which, like, as a reader, you just see immediately when you turn the page. So the beat is not the same. And it makes sense in the film because, again, our POV, the entire film, is Katie Heron. So we're seeing the world through her eyes. We're seeing, you know, people take on the characteristics of animals on the savannah because that's her world perspective and it makes sense and to go back to the musical you can have people sing a solo and understand their pov but we sort of are really keep hitting on this point that the pov keeps changing and never really feels justified so to have a moment that only really works if it's always katie's pov or if everyone's always sort of being an unreliable narrator it doesn't play in the same way. Yeah, like if it was structured where like both chapters were Katie's perspective and it ended on, and that's how Regina George died, and then you had to turn the page to get just kidding, that like is obviously infinitely better. It does seem like a colossal fuck up that they (laughs) establish like nine narrators and then anyone except Katie would work in that scene. 
I mean, you could do like a Damien, like, I, I, I stood nearby, I watched the drama play out, then she was hit by a bus, she died, just kidding. The only way it doesn't work is if the narrator is the person hit by the bus, and yet, that's the route that is taken. And you can still do all the same jokes, you can have Katie narrating and going, and I saw the mom across the street in this crazy outfit, it's, it's very odd. I think in the musical, Damien is the one that says, and that's how Regina George died. Because the musical had this big problem that we worked on fixing, you know, three days before we shut down, where they took away the additional narrators. And so the musical was solely narrated by Janice and Damien because they took away Katie's narration. Why was such a thing done? Like, you just described a problem that I'm like, why did that problem even present itself? Innovative writing. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. They closed three days later and never reopened. Correct. (laughs) It would be amazing, though, if the Regina chapter of her getting hit by a bus had been like, you know, I thought I was having a, whatever she called it, a rage stroke. Then, of then suddenly, like the heavens parted, I was pulled up into heaven. (laughs) Like, like Peter judged me, and then. As as he was about to hit the down button on the elevator, I was yanked back into reality. A hospital bed. What had happened? Yeah. Or even just put Kevin G on the bus and do a chapter from Kevin G on the bus, <laughs> hanging out with his friends, and then suddenly the bus stopped suddenly, and the bus driver screamed, and oh no, the blood, it was everywhere. The fact that we don't have a chapter from Kevin G's perspective is devastating. Come on, he the backup edition from Kevin G's perspective. The couplets alone. Oh, God, that guy is the best. This book really misunderstands the meaning of the word sexy, speaking of Kevin G. Because <laughs> in the talent show scene, uh, from it's told from Katie's perspective, and she's describing Kevin's rap. And instead of <laughs> instead of saying like his rap started out sort of fun and then it got kind of lewd and he got in trouble. They're like, it started off kind of fun, but then it got weird and sexy and he got in trouble. <laughs> it's like, that's not what sexy means. Katie was not turned sexual. on by the rap. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My example that I always use is that like, there's differences between like movies being horny and movies being sexy and like Mission Impossible 2 is I- extremely horny, but it is not sexy. I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah. <laughs> it is g- kind of wild to think with the bus that, like, uh, there's never a scene on the bus when presumably that would be such a huge part of the high school experience at a public yeah. school. How is the bus even handled on stage? <laughs> we went through a couple of options, one being an inflatable raft that would blow up and hit her, but that proved not smart. Uh, we... <laughs> We ended up having a styrofoam front of the bus that is large and heavy and on a track that fires it out very quickly, <laughs> followed, followed by a curtain that is painted to look like a bus. And so as the bus is shot out of the, like the edge of the stage, the curtain opens so the bus looks like it's moving. It's honestly, having watched it during tech, one of the scariest effects in the show and like pretty accurate. We could watch it right now. I have the video clip and could share the screen. So it's the, it's, you really need to recreate like the visceral nature of that shot in the movie. 
I mean, people screamed every night because <laughs> it is scary. It, it reminds me it, a lot of the cat getting shot in Pulp Fiction, where like the joke is is weirdly meta, even though it doesn't mm-hmm. actually literally comment on the movie. It is them going, uh, yeah, we just did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they mention it so many times and you're still surprised. All right, let's watch. <laughs> hey, it looks pretty damn good. So the bus, <laughs> it looks pretty the solid. The passes in front of the actress. Yes. Yeah, so okay. Katie's spike mark is in line with the end. So the track ends, so it can't jump the track. Mm-hmm. Katie's spike mark is in line. Regina's spike mark is right upstage of it. So okay. using Katie downstage makes it look like they're in line. They're not in line. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> no, was, as you were describing it, I was thinking like, okay, is this actress being asked to stand at the end of the track and then be <laughs> hit by a bus? Well, is I that an acting Katie... thing she has to do? Which Katie is being asked to stand at the end of the track. (laughs) This is a show in which the majority of the set is video screens. Yes. Oh. So the one visceral moment is a literal bus. It's like one of our only practical set pieces, and it's by far the most downstage. So it's very close to the audience. Wow, that's crazy. So it's like when you go to see like uh, one of those really minimalist productions of Our Town, and then at the end it opens up into like a maximalist thing. I feel like that's a popular way to do our town. Have you guys seen that? But what would it be a maximalist cemetery? So like I I've seen this ha- in like two different productions of our town where like the the play is like a black box style just like you know uh folding chairs or whatever and people walking around sure. in like you know jeans and then at the end for like the last 5 minutes it opens up into the most intricately decorated perfectly lit like interior of a home and you've been so deprived of any colors for the whole show that you're like that's that's a real room and like anyway my point is that i love sets i love costumes so i would love that it made me mad though because it did the first time i saw it because i was like oh yeah i like colors i wish i had had those the whole play <laughs> but I, say, uh, I went to see assassins last night and they did a thing where the ensemble are all in like jumpsuits like red white blue like full mm-hmm. color one piece like coveralls and they come out before the show starts and they're like tuning instruments and they're doing stuff around the stage and i turned to my friend and i was like oh no is this a production with no costumes <laughs> <laughs> but then there were costumes I have one question on assassins. How <laughs> yes. was Judy Kuhn? Amazing. Love me some Judy Kuhn. Super funny, really funny, really great. I'm really curious on assassins now that a lot of these assassins who did not succeed and are out of prison now, do they want to go see assassins? Because John Hinckley is on Twitter. Does he want to go see this show? About I can't how- imagine Judy- because it's just a show about how like you're a cuckoo bird insane person. Like that's yeah. not, It's not like the show is like, Good on you, man. You try, you know. So, my oh my, my girlfriend and I were talking about this last night because, um, or maybe I was talking about it with a friend. She's gonna listen to this and be like, "We didn't fucking talk about that." Um, but <laughs> I have any friends? <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend and I went to see Titus Andronicus, the band, not the play, uh, last night, and they have like a whole album that is like a very damning portrait and like biography of Hinckley. And I, I was saying to my buddy, I was like, wouldn't it be so fucking funny if he just came out and did a keyboard solo or something? Because <laughs> he's out. He's here. 
I also sometimes wonder, you know, it's like bringing it back. If you were a mean girl in high school, how do you feel about stories like this? You know, like I they don't like, know. Right. Most mean girls do not see themselves as mean girls. But like if you were like really popular, was there a point where you watched something like this and you're like, wait, was I mean? I don't think I was mean. I don't think until they're 30 do they think, was I mean? They're like, well, at least I was a nice popular person. Like, that's this could be a worthwhile ethnography for you to write, though. You know, just Ooh. show Mean Girls, the movie Mean Girls, and say, respond. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I feel like there was some study article recently, or that's I don't it. know. I, I read a thing, perhaps on Twitter, who fucking knows, that when you show any human being a movie that has like a villain and a hero no matter who they actually are they're like well i relate to the underdog i relate to the hero that guy's me you know like i'm obviously not the guy who wants to shoot et i am et and it's like no actually you are you are the guy who wants to shoot et you're an fbi agent right like no one can see themselves as the villain I know that guy is a shotgun at the end, but was anyone ever saying, I want to shoot you? <laughs> okay, like, maybe not the best example that I came up with on the top of my fucking head, but you know what I mean. Like, you can't look at a movie and be like, yep, shoot, I'm that guy, you know? Uh, with more nuanced films, like, I, I remember that someone confided in me that they they went to see Midsommar with their... Uh, their friend who like had been a like a serial cheater and they were like yeah he literally afterwards was just sticking up for the guy (laughs) so like it's possible maybe maybe you see so much of yourself in a character that you're compelled to be like actually he was the good one actually he must be he has to be they drugged him (laughs) i think these are two sides of the exact same coin right you're either going to be like i'm not that guy or like yeah but he's fine it's cool didn't deserve to get burned alive in a bear suit i mean that's too much i know spoilers for all the mean girls fans who have not yet completed ari aster's you know i hope that the fans of mean girls who have not watched midsommar are like which guy though could be any of the three guys True, we're talking about there were also a lot of swedish people in that yeah. movie there are a lot of guys there yeah you never know which guy got which burned bear? alive in a bear, which bear suit honestly. which bear jason weems there could have been several beer bears Beers. also Collins, that it sounds to me like that character's name changed between the movie and the broadway musical because his name in the book i think is jason something with an m I always conflate whether Jason is Gretchen's cousin or if Karen made out with her cousin. Karen, Karen made, made out, out with her cousin. cousin. We get a lot of Jason backstory and There's side story in this. Jason. We learn a lot about his relationship, which I assumed ended when that girl had that pregnancy scare call. But She kept it going. Good for her. Good yeah. for them. Oh, speaking of side characters, I have a feature to do. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if we're going to get sued for this, but it's Andrew's... I should call it Overby's since there's two Andrews. It's Overby's Cinema Sins Corner. Ew, boo. I only have one, okay? And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do the voice or one of the five voices there have been. Alright. When Katie first gets to high school, Kevin G says he wants her on Mathletes so that they can afford jackets. At the end of the movie, Katie does join Mathletes, but it's said that it was only a day 
after Kevin G learned that she would. So how did Kevin get the money for the jackets when he needed a girl to get the funding to get the money? Who cares about that? <laughs> what does it matter? All right, so that's listening, the, Tina Fey. That's the first and only instance of and, uh, Andrew Overby's Cinema Sins Corner. Also, I want to I want to raise umbrage with what that Cinema Sin is saying about the movie because I don't think it's accurate. I think what Kevin G says is we get more funny if we have a girl. Let me know because we're getting jackets. I need a jacket count. No, no, no. Yeah, we're thinking of getting jackets. Let me know so I can get you a jacket if you're part of it. It's not gonna, it's wanna. We want to get jackets. Let me know if you also want to get a jacket. I don't know. My sense is that Karen was on the mathletes in order to meet more men. Yes. And then she gets kicked off so that Katie Heron can be better at math. Is she on the mathletes? That's my my guess. What what kind of backstory is this? Are we just doing Mean Girls fanfic? (laughs) And what about it, Andrew? (laughs) Are you poo-pooing a mostly female hobby? For shame, Andrew Overby, for shame. Wait, is that true? That- I do think it is true that mostly women write fan fiction, yes. I only read huh. Phantom of the Opera fan fiction. Good for you, Andrew. <laughs> and Les Mis. Okay, I lied. Nice. Gavroche and Javert meet in heaven, or purgatory, I guess. And they're they're talking to each other about their lives. It's You're really cool. just only doing the really sophisticated version of fan fiction, huh? <laughs> okay, wait. I've got one. I've got a fanfic for Mean Girls. So Principal Duval used to run a microbrewery, but it wasn't doing so well. So then he went into education, but he regrets it every day. Okay. <laughs> notes. You know, if it brings you joy, then I have no notes. Yeah. How does this carpal tunnel play into all this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess he got it from like pulling the things on the wall in this brewery i will oh, say works. this is the movie that taught me what carpal tunnel was hey. so Aww. you know mean girls had some sort of an educational effect on me that was it uh the carpal tunnel? <laughs> i learned the word fugly nothing about limits or math. oh i mean i got excited in pre-calculus when we got to limits let me just say Oh, I do have to say that some of the math stuff in the book and the movie is pretty whack. Um, the The fact that within like 10 pages, the author references cross-multiplication twice in totally different circumstances made me think that she only knows about cross-multiplication. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the book and the film, the when they're doing the tutoring, I think Katie says sometimes two negative integers multiply to make a positive integer. It's like, no, Katie, not sometimes, literally every fucking time. It's a rule. <laughs> it's also, a like, rule. the mathlete questions at the end, they solve so fast. Like, how? How? Totally, yeah. stupid, but... And it's not at all in line with what they were learning in class. So when she does that Jimmy Neutron brain blast, where she's like... <laughs> Let me try to remember what was behind Aaron Samuel's head that day. It's like, whatever was behind is, is the equivalent of two plus two compared to this shit. Yeah, she's a real savant in that moment where she can be like, I never saw what was on the board. 
But what if I knew what was on the board? What? Also, like, I don't know what a limit is. I don't know what that is at oh. all. I just don't know. Do you, do you want me to explain it? No. Okay. I can't explain it. <laughs> and I was like, please don't. <laughs> so when you graph an equation, sometimes because of the way numbers work, they will infinitely get closer and closer to a point and never be able to reach that point. And that's the limit. You lost me at graph and equation. Yeah, I'd like to clarify that I was okay at arithmetic, but then I took pre. I went from having like an A in algebra two to a D in pre-calculus. So I'm you not know, good at math. I oddly relate. I had a. I was like a straight A student my whole life. I took higher level AP Calc, like Calc BC, and I failed it. Like went from being a straight A student to failing AP Calc because I've never been what worse in a subject than calculus. Like I yeah, just couldn't calculus, wrap my head around it. I and fully I agree. Class. I I refuse to tutor basically anything above sophomore year high school because I don't I don't like get it. Um, I I firmly believe that everything beforehand is pretty intuitive. Like if you learn the rules, you know how it works. And then there's like something brain breaking about pre calc. Limits. That's what breaks your brain. Sines, cosines. I didn't fucking get it. Wait, but sines, oh, cosines, that's, like that's that's before then. Yeah, you should. Okay, well, I didn't get that either. Okay? <laughs> I didn't get it. It was part of I my just, pre-calc, yeah. and I just couldn't grasp it. And then I started skipping class, and then I got it less. This, this is a literature podcast. This is not a mathematics podcast. I was yeah. like, shame, Hannah Blackman. I was going to tie it in. Ready? I Ready? have a literature degree. So in the musical... I keep bringing up the musical. No, it's good that we keep talking about it. This is like, you know, it's a fun episode, but it is completely off the rails. (laughs) Um, So in the musical, she comes up with the limit does not exist answer in like a feminist rant. So it's not that she sees through Aaron's head. It's that she's speaking (laughs) and she says like, why did you say something rude to me? Like we could both be successful women. Like if we... I don't I, it's a song so I'm trying to translate in my head lyrics. but yeah if it's like if we do it together like the limit doesn't exist she's like oh, the limit doesn't exist is that better or worse you know yeah okay. she says if we break from she's talking about how you know women gotta stick together because she's being mean to this one here uh wait can I sure the, the mean thing I say to clarify it's it's on iTunes it's so famous. Katie says <laughs> nice to meet you to Caroline Craft, and Caroline Craft says you're going down slut and then Katie says, if we break from this crap, then the answer lands in our lap. Don't be scared. Just persist. Then our limit does not exist. No, the limit does not exist. That being the answer. And then they win. Yep. Cool. Well, yeah. Okay. Art. Yeah. Better? Yeah. Let's all stick together as women. What I'm getting from all these revisions in the musical is that Tina Fey is like the modern Proust. That she like like refuses to like let an object be completed and is constantly oh, revising 100%. <laughs> Get new lines all the time. She's like, I can't stand this joke. I've heard it for two years. New one. Yeah, new one. Reiterate, they, they rewrote it three days before the Broadway shut down, the entire show. Correct. Before, I before like Broadway got long COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, A, I think it's fun. It brings people back into the theater thinking that if you come back next year, you'll be getting different jokes. That's super fun. B, Tina Fey is very funny and has spent a lot of the past couple of years being chided for socially unacceptable jokes. And I'm sure it's constantly like, oh, God, change that. 
Which, you know, no better, do better. What if under the guise of just having a eureka moment, she was like, there's a few things in 30 Rock that I think it'd be really fun to change right now. I just think that'd be really fun. (laughs) I don't want 30 Rock to change a single thing. She's going to be like Sly Stallone re-editing Rocky Four forty 40 years later being like, no, the robot should have been cut years ago. No. Friggin, you know, no. the long, the long dead director of uh, the original Birth of a Nation rises back up and he's like, I just had a few more ideas for things I might want to change. Maybe we could chip some in of the, those jokes. In the right way or the wrong way? The, no, like he's just trying to do uh, damage control. <laughs> Well, guys, Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Um, I have a point. Oh, you have a point? Go for it. So um, I found it interesting that the first time they go to Regina's house, one of the iconic movie moments is her little sister, Kylie, like dancing to, I think it's Milkshake. It is Milkshake. In front of, which really dates the movie. (laughs) But she's like, you know, like dancing too mature for her age to Milkshake. They cut that from the book. But then later, um, you see a text message from Kylie that says, uh, Regina thinks I don't know about her burn book, but I totally do. She's so cool. We should make one for our grade. And I thought it was interesting that they cut this this very iconic moment of her clearly seeing too much. And then they add this almost more weighted text of like, people are learning what you're doing when you're younger. Like the younger people see what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was just a really interesting and useful way to bring Kylie into that. Maybe she too will be hit by a bus. I mean, coupled with the baby plastics at the end of the movie, who are not quite in the book. Right. I mean, it's a never-ending cycle, isn't it? You can't escape yeah. the expectations of society. Do you think that the actors who pay- who played the baby plastics or the junior plastics, that they just are really bitter that they weren't in Mean Girls 2? I hope they are. They should be in Mean Girls 2. That's not right. I haven't verified whether they are or aren't. But <laughs> they are not. I was going to say, I guarantee they are not. Because presumably the movie came out two years later and they just recast I mean, what's I the plot of Mean Girls 2? Colin, you said you watched uh, it. Is it just Mean Girls again? I or? can't tell you. What if there were more Mean Girls? Oh, mean, it's not two years later, Andrew. It's seven. <laughs> oh, my God. That's longer than Harry Potter was at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> was he really there for seven years, though? Did he graduate? Wait, was it also no, he didn't graduate. That's, that's the no, point no. of that joke, just to explain my own joke, is that <laughs> he was only there for six years. I'm assuming uh, that Harry Potter got to honorary graduate. I would assume. I mean, what is graduate? We never see a graduation in Hogwarts. We don't know what it looks like. Because their school got taken over by the Dark Lord. No, but we don't even go in like year two. It's like, oh, I got to see Percy graduate. <laughs> oh, no. I think they just done with school and they leave to become Percy's wizard cops. But as yeah. you know, Harry Potter doesn't have a high school degree and gets to become a wizard cop. So they're not doing any better than we are. They should have gone in on uh, the the university aspect of Hogwarts and been like, all right, next book, like, Voldemort attacks the baccalaureate ceremony. <laughs> I guess we're learning that, you know, not every idea J.K. Rowling had was fully fleshed out. And... <laughs> we're good. We're good. Indeed. 
she's so dug in that I think that the idea you're referring to is pretty fleshed out, even though I disagree with it. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. I think she's interrogated most aspects of it from how much she's defended it. Anyway, um... Oh, I wanted to say one more thing, which is, um, Hannah, I'm sorry for Thank insinuating you. that uh, that we fought on the Good Burger episode, and uh, you're wonderful. Um, but also, the thing I actually wanted to say was that when we were talking about like the structure of the movie, and you were saying it's like Heather's, a movie I haven't seen, which is why I didn't comment. Um, oh. I, There's also a musical of Heather's, so you could do the one, two, three as yes. well. Well, just watch the movie The Musical Has Problems. I... We can discuss this separately, Andrew. I like the music. All right, I'll, I'll see you on our, our Zoom after this. I think yeah, I've probably brought this up before, but I have like a trouble. I have a trouble. No, I have trouble <laughs> di- just digesting musicals. They're just, I, I don't know what it is. I find it. You've starred in several. I starred in several. I've lo- I love music and I love story and I love theater. But I 100% of the time get blue balled when there's like an interesting scene going on and it turns into a song. It makes me mad. Like every there's time. There's a whole song about that in Heather's, so. Is yeah. there really? <laughs> well, it, about it was cut because. Oh, okay. It. it was in, it when I saw it, it was there and it was very yeah. funny. And then the it London really production was like, we don't use that phrase here. And they took it out. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but that's how I interpret it. Andrew, you're going to love Diana the musical then. I don't under- know what that is. Um, I was going to say, when you were talking about how it was a lot like Heather's, that uh, I love how Mean Girls has, like, the structure of, like, Bill Duke's deep cover or several other, like, cop films. <laughs> I love that the premise of it is, like, is, like, you must go undercover, but, like, try to anchor yourself to reality. And, like, getting lost in it. I honestly think it's, like, a a pretty successful, like, spy film from a psychological standpoint. Not from, like, the... Sure. Not from, like, the um, accoutrement or, like, whatever of, of spy movies. It has none of that. But it has the, like, I'm changing and I'm telling myself that it's, a, it's an act thing. And then this scene where your handler yells at you and says, you've gone too deep. You've become the thing you're trying to stop. You're yeah. a mean girl. You're a bitch. Give us your badge. Exactly. <laughs> um, Hannah Blackman. Yeah. You have been homeschooled for most of your life. You are pulled out of Africa, uh, which reminds which reminds me of a film, but I, I can't remember which a, one. An untrue statement about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm ending episodes now. Andrew <laughs> Andrew Marco. You have a terrible whippets addiction. Um, <laughs> Hannah Blackman. What about it? Hypothetical. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Hannah Blackman, you have spent 12 years with your family in Africa. You are for the first time being schooled in a school, uh, as opposed to homeschool being school schooled. And you <laughs> you find that one of the subjects that you have to study is how to and when to recommend books to others. <laughs> it's really complicated. Would you recommend this book to someone who has seen the movie Mean Girls? Would you recommend someone it to someone who has not, but would like to? And would you recommend it to someone who has no relationship to the film at all? 
You know, I was thinking about this while I was reading it because if the book were up to date in its, you know, cultural touch points, I would recommend it to any teenage girl. I think it's like charmingly written. It's pretty funny. It's like a harmless good thing. We all like mean girls, but because it is so dated and there's like three way phone calling and the way that the girls text each other is like so like abbreviated and like very old fashioned. I think any modern teenager would be like, ew, dumb, you know, and that would just make me look bad. So I, I actually like, no, I thought this book was fine. It didn't hurt my feelings. I don't think I'd recommend it to anybody. Not because it's bad, just because I don't think it has any like place in the world. I don't think it's giving anything to the movie and it isn't like, you're not going to read Queen Bees and Wannabes when you're 15. This might be a good alternative, but it's not because it no longer applies to your life as like mm-hmm. a, a modern youth. Um, so that's that's where I stand. Have any of the 16 books we've read hurt your feelings? Not yet. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> I, but some books do hurt my feelings, and you'll I'll let you know when we get to one. But Great. So far, that's a wonderful tease. I don't think so. <laughs> Andrew Marco, you, yes. you are horrifically struck by a yellow school bus. You uh-huh. you awaken to discover that you suddenly have the ability to recommend books to anyone that you like. Oh my goodness. Would you recommend this book, Mean Girls by Nicole Ostow, to someone who loves the movie, someone who hasn't seen the movie but wants to, or someone who has no relation to the medium of film at all? You know, similar to Hannah, I, I don't think this is one I will recommend. I mean, you pointed out some pros and I don't think it's yeah again it's not an offensive book it's not it's not like some of the like Nickelodeon editions of books we read where they were not even adding anything to the source material I think there are some fun book additions to Mean Girls that I think work I wish there were more of them but it doesn't do enough different I mean we talked a little bit the musical musical is not perfect either but it does enough different where it's it stands on its own to some degree and you know I'm sure Mean Girls too stands on its own to some degree. But the book is really just a a screenplay with some interiority and I I don't think I would just say watch the movie because so much of what works is visual and in delivery that you'll just never be able to capture in the same way in a book. At least not the way this book is written. So, no recommend for me. Collins Conley, Regina George is stalking around your school. Throwing <laughs> photocopied pages of the burn book around. They're covered in insults. Mm. You find one pertaining to you. It says, Collins Conley, I have granted you the ability to recommend books to whomever <laughs> you please. Would you recommend this book? So <laughs> Would you recommend this book? Well, Regina told me to. Let's go. She said you um, could. <laughs> Not that you should. <laughs> um, I think, personally... If there's someone my age who has not seen the movie in 10 years and is like, I need a fun beach read, absolutely. Because it, it reminds me of what we went through in high school, like the texting and the, all the things. Um, so I see that world. More importantly, I would like to recommend a cut version of just the little aside notes, mostly from Mrs. George, uh, to my castmates. I think they would have a hoot. I think we would have a great time. That's my recommendation. I changed my mind. <laughs> okay. A rare reversal. 
I think this book is perfect for someone who has some sort of class in middle school or early high school where they are required to read a book and they just have to sit there and read a book and they want to read something that they already have a, a basis in. So they read this novel based off a movie they like. And That's. I was going to say, look, it's to roll their eyes and say millennials. <laughs> Yes. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, although you, you, my co-host, know about this, which is that in my uh, email correspondence with the, the wonderful Deborah Cheel, she did reveal that uh, many of the fan letters she got about Great Expectations led her to believe that people were reading it to pretend that they had read Dickens' book in English class. <laughs> Where's that? Andrew Overby. Oh, sure. Hi. Hi. You go over to your friend's house, and on their shelf is a pink book. You take it off the shelf. It's a burn book. You open it up, and there's a page that says, The novelization of Mean Girls is a fugly bitch. We hate her. Do you agree, or do you contest? (laughs) I have to say that I had an okay time reading the book, but this episode has sort of talked me out of my opinion of it, which is, I think that sometimes the books we read are, the books we read are so actively hard to get through or infuriating or what have you that I can get into this trap where I'm reading a book and I'm going, oh, it's going by quickly. And I'm, I'm laughing sometimes. This is fun. But like, now that I look back at the whole thing, it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity I mean, if you're going to add in these lists and these these epistolary sections, I don't know, take take a little more narrative risk, especially since it's so long, the book is really so long after the movie, it's like, it's less tied to, hey, this should be doing exactly what the movie's doing. I mean, people are not grabbing it as they leave the movie theater, you know, as they go to see Mean Girls. They're They're picking it up years later to either be like, nostalgic or they're picking it up for the first time so i i would say i commend uh i almost said deborah <laughs> i commend mccall Ostow for uh the formatting of the book which i think is interesting but for the most part it offers the same experience now one compliment i do want to pay even though i probably wouldn't recommend this book is i do think the humor at least makes sense in the book. A lot of the times, like when we were reading Good Burger, they they have to do stuff like someone sneaks up on someone else and they have to be like, blah, 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 I hate that guy, but he was right there. And it's like, you can just feel the the cut, the, the, the edit point in the book. Um, I thought here the humor came up pretty organically, which is a feat, in my opinion. I will say, and I felt this way since our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode. I'm disappointed every time we read a book and we're not <laughs> privy to the fact that a character, let's say Karen Smith, for instance, was not a serial killer. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we needed that kind of twist in Mean Girls for it to really have the full effect. Especially with a quote like, or do you on yeah. the back? You know the story, ah. or do you, would have been perfect for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's like, I thought I knew the story, but it turns out one of our heroes was a murderer. Yeah, there is. I mean, like, with all the epistolary, what's the word? Epistolary. Epistolary. I've never had to say it out loud. 
all that <laughs> stuff. Like write Dracula for teenage girls or go home. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Bram Stoker's Dracula and a pistolary novel. Do, do it or don't. Let one of your characters be like secretly a vampire. I don't mean to uh, change subjects at the end of this amazing episode. I mean, the episode's been so concise thus far <laughs> that it, I think I we wish, can allow it. Ha- have we all traveled on the New Jersey, uh, the Garden State Parkway in our lives? Has anyone done Yeah, that? I have. And all the rest areas are named after famous New Jersey people, Molly Pitcher, Woodrow Wilson, and like, I've just learned they're renaming them. Uh, and my mom just stopped at one named for John Bon Jovi. And I guess there will be a James Gandolfini one. Ew, nice. And Hell I'm yeah. just excited to see the whole list of all these <laughs> new, wonderful New Jersey's. I'm hoping at least one of the Jonas Brothers will get a rest area oh in their gosh, honor. So it would be so disrespectful, but so funny if they named all the new ones after pe- like characters who died in the Sopranos movie. <laughs> 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 Collins Connolly. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast Authorized. Of course. Thank you for having me. Is there anything that you would like to promote at the moment? Anything that you have on the ball? I have no life. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wonderful. Um, to our fans, I'm going to do it, Hannah. I'm actually doing it. To our fans, please review our podcast. Please give it a rating that's favorable on whatever application you're listening on please subscribe to it so that when we randomly drop bonus episodes you get a little notification uh you know no one's having a crisis about it but we recently released a bonus episode and engagement's a little down help us out (laughs) in four weeks the world forgot about us and finally uh, it's a big announcement i i do think i finally found a way to end the episodes you know famously week to week excited Famously, week to week, we're trying new things to end the episodes. I think this one's really going to take. Okay. The novelizations are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. That's too heavy. That's way too heavy. And now, the Authorized Novelizations Podcast Burn Book. No character or author is safe. Jedi Master Sifo Diaz has a second family on Kamino. That's why he goes there all the time. Jedi Master Sifo Diaz likes to F those gross tall water slide looking uggos. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I do like, Andrew, that you put a little sauce on it. I appreciate that. Um, Hannah, would you like to take the next one? I didn't know that I will. <laughs> I didn't realize I would have such a viscerally unpleasant reaction to doing this. Okay, You're so allergic to the idea of even being fictionally mean. I get, I, this is a kind of meanness that is a, above my pay grade. You know what I mean? Come on, Hannah. 
It's just Prudy. Yeah, Prudy Hendrix asked for a french fries at my birthday dinner. Like, we get it, bitch. You like French. <laughs> Malcolm Crow is dead, and he doesn't even know it. So embarrassing. Lie down in your grave hole, you old bag. <laughs> Ed at Goodburger has two nipples. He says he has three, but the third one is his first one counted twice. Ugh. You happen to be getting all the women, I feel. <laughs> I did not. These are like random. I did not plan okay, in any that's sequence. That's what they all say, but. Um, Mr. Freeze's wife can totally talk inside that ice. She just does it because she's a boring bimbo who has nothing to say. It's mean. It's mean to her. <laughs> it's pretty mean to her. Uh, Okie dokie Jones, please open the Ark of the Covenant. Okie dokie Jones, please melt your old man face off your developing bones. Uh, I like how you chose to go with the fictional in-universe baby character, not just telling an actual baby to, like, murder itself. Oh, my God. All right. Dalton from Bloodshot should give himself a bionic penis. Would be an upgrade. Oh, another woman for you. Oh my gosh. This, is, this so is not planned. And I am seeing that it will also happen on the next rotation. Oh my god. New Jordan is a rat in a wig. That's why she's always in the vents. Last summer, Aaron Miller saw Peter David having a tea party with two scarecrows with the supernatural boys' faces taped on them. It wasn't even sexual. He just enjoyed their company. Creep. Cliff Booth killed his wife. No burn here. You can murder me with a harpoon gun if I get to be married to that for five years. Jocelyn can't even read. That's why she won't take Greg's book recommendations. She listened to the audiobooks of Every Jane Austen, Elitar at Skank. I feel like I'm getting into it now. I think so too. <laughs> I think maybe your your um reluctance is some sort of like self-hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Recognition that this is a side of yourself long buried. <laughs> oh my god, Andrew, this is so awkward. Your next burn bookie is right here. Oh, oh Gizmo. God. Gizmo Hi. from Gremlins. All right. Here we go. Gizmo is a picket line crossing scab. We want water and food after midnight. Kiss ass teacher's pet. Crimp your grody eyelashes. The aliens from Battleship are fugly sluts. Go home, mashed potato face. <laughs> I'm glad that I get this next one. <laughs> Me too. All of Artemis Gordon's patents are pending. It was worth all of the, the sexism for you to finally get some <laughs> AG talk in there. Yeah, well, you know, my best friend, Artemis Gordon. Ed Nigma swallowed one of the Guess Who cards when he was a baby. That's why he's such a freak with a riddle boner. <laughs> okay, can we remind me who Finn is? Yeah, Finn, also known as two other names, is the oh, protagonist Pip. of Great Expectations. <laughs> Finn slash Pip slash Jimmy. B.O. when he was poor, and now he's rich and wears a ton of cologne. He's never smelled normal ever in his whole life. Oh I'm surprised you didn't go with something about his weird hair when he's like a teenager in that movie. Nobody's like got hair in a book. It's definitely not true. <laughs> okay. You're right. As I think back, everyone in books looks <laughs> like the cast of Breaking Bad. The dinosaurs from Jurassic Park are animatronic losers. It's 2021. Be CGI, you practical himbos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Bavmorda is bald under that cloth hood. Bavmorda <laughs> used to hang out with Caddy Heron, and Caddy told her Nair would kill the Chosen One. <laughs> well, I'm learning Tibby's last name for the first time. I have to yeah. say that this last one is fully not in line with the characters from Mean Girls at all. <laughs> Tibby Tomko Rollins' documentary started with random interviews and then ended with her camera person dying. It was thematically a bit unfocused. <laughs> wow. 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 So wow. those took me hours. <laughs> you got so many. I thought you were going to do like six. 